Ingram. She was born one late spring evening, as a great storm hit, wiping out half of Enola County, claiming the lives of three men. Thunder clapped and lightning struck, shaking the old Victorian farmhouse from the foundation to the rooftop. As she drew her first breath on this earth, and they named her Grace after her grandmother, Dorothea Grace Betty McKinley of the Virginia McKinleys. But there was little graciousness about Grace Ingram when at the age of 15, she fell from the back of a flatbed truck she was hiding in as it sped away from her home down a dusty rutted track in the moonlight. How the stars mocked her stumbled attempt at freedom that hot August night. But how the quiet of the night brought a new and unfamiliar comfort. She would not go back to the house of constant chatter and ceaseless rebuking, where her Aunt Evangeline kept her under an ever-watchful eye and had woken her from sleep, insisting she go to the den, a room the size of a closet, where she sat at the edge of her chair in the manner of a well-brought-up young lady, straight-backed, knees together, legs crossed at the ankle, hands resting in her lap, and she listened. She listened without interrupting to a long liturgical chant on her faults and shortcomings, her inadequacies and inabilities, her sins, and finally, the road to redemption. Do you realize that you're a sinner, Grace? Grace shook her head, not knowing her sins. Well, we are all sinners, Grace. It's as easy to sin as it is to take a breath. Well, we sin without even knowing it. But you, Grace, you were brought up in the church and you knew better, didn't you, Grace? Aunt Evangeline flipped through page after gold line page, reciting verse upon verse. Then, pausing, she leaned in close, locked eyes with grace, and said, In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. I can tell you one thing, Grace Ingram. There is no salvation outside this book. Don't go out in the world looking for it. You'll just be wasting your time. The highway was just up ahead on the other side of the hill. Grace marched on, gravel crackling underfoot, 
as if in applause of her great escape from Enola County. At that moment, a bright light flared across her eyes. At first, she thought it a flashlight belonging to those looking for her. But no, a large owl, white in the honeyed moon, squared the field, looking for prey. She mused on that word. They taught me I should pray, and yet... Somewhere, she had read, that an owl crossing your path from left to right was good luck. Not so if it were right to left. She could neither remember clearly nor care, but she counted the turns the owl made and remembered them. Remembered them as clearly as the verses that had been learned and recited over and over. She took upon herself to believe that the owl's gyrations were clear signs. If the owl turned left, she must walk left down the highway. If right, that was her door to another future. Her sock rubbed and she stopped to pull off her red shoe. Without a sound, a black crow fell heavily to the dirt before her, turned its yellow eye to meet hers, and died right there. As if by instinct, she raised her hand and smeared its blood across her forehead. At that moment, the dark air fell from above like ash, and outrage became her companion. Arnie fumbled with the stations on his FM radio, scanning the dial to find that station that played Buck Owens and Merle. He sweated as he ran the gauntlet of Connie Francis and Bobby Rydell. His thumb and forefinger nervously twitched at the chrome plastic knobs on the dash. He really could have used three hands, one for the radio, one for the wheel, and one to stop the wind-up window from falling into the door well. Arnie was stocky, sweaty, nervous, deaf in one ear from a mortar shell that nearly took more than his hearing. He had proudly served his country, as well as most of the easy-to-persuade girls from the semi-derelict steel town where he grew up. Girls who did war work, hair piled high and tied up with floral headscarves, who painted a fake stocking seam down the backs of their legs with an old eyeliner pencil. His father was a railroad man hauling mile-long freights round the Great Lakes. His mother, well, Arnie never knew her. Consumption took her before her time. He was startled by a thud on the windshield and pulled off to the side of the highway in a blur of dust. In his rearview mirror, he thought he saw a crow fly up, 
blue-black in the night sky and fall to the earth. He also thought he saw a flash of red, a shoe, maybe, or blood. Grace's heart began to spin round and beat like a fire in the pit of her chest. The sweltering heat of the August night sank to a hollow in her bone, and she was swept into the heavy black sky, lit red, violet, and blue. She began to speak in tongues as she rose from the shadows and rolled from the rolling waters, up and over the highway, so high above the static, even the stars fell silent. Meanwhile, in the headlights of Arnie's car, stood the lone figure of a girl, pale and thin, the whites of her gray eyes shining brightly through the darkness, and in her hands, a single crow feather, which she held like a sword and shield up against a lonely world. Arnie rolled out of the cab, the door hanging open like a gaping mouth. His eyes hurt, the dust and the dirty exhaust, a cocktail of spite, as his eyes strained and his tears stung as they rolled to the red earth. He had read books about this, trashy yellowed paperbacks from dime store closeouts or stolen from diners books about roadside hauntings, the night vixen. He thought she came for love, but she came for blood. Something in his chest crumpled, and an unwelcome chill tugged at the pores of his skin. He hadn't felt this since he crawled out of the sand at Omaha Beach back in 44. But he had reason then. This was war, and men were hanging like ribbons on rusty steel traps.